Welcome to the Dell Wamsley Radio Show. Listen and grow as Dell questions the status quo, encourages you to think differently, and empowers you to make a better life. Get ready as Dell challenges core beliefs, seeks the truth, and reveals the roadmap to the lifestyle you really want. And now your host, multi-millionaire, national award-winning investor, CEO and founder of Lifestyles Unlimited, Del Wamsley. Welcome to the Lifestyles Unlimited Real Estate Investor Radio Show. I'm your host, Del Wamsley, and as always, we're working on your financial freedom. Now, why did I call it the Lifestyles Unlimited Real Estate Investor Radio Show? Because that's what we used to call this show before I took it over, and we still have the Lifestyles Unlimited Real Estate Investor Radio Show out there. It is on every day in many, many cities, mostly here in Houston. It was the original show where we have other people talk about real estate itself and about how to get started in real estate and how to buy houses and so on and so forth. And there is a whole genre and demand for that type of radio. What I want you to understand is that the radio that I do here at the Dell Wamsley Radio Show is slightly different. What I do here is I talk about life and I try to give you the insights that my 32 years of consulting and mentoring people bring in that I get to see people fail at massive levels. You say, well, Dell, I thought you'd help them succeed. Yes. I get to see people succeed at massive levels. But even though I can teach people that which works, really works, I find that there's still some people that won't succeed, just won't do it. And today I wanted to share with you why that was. And there's really two different types of people that I want to outline today. One is the creative... And I almost want to push it over to type A personality, that person that, you know, instantaneous gratification, something for nothing, excited, get it done, do it now, and then change your mind and do something else kind of person. And the other type of person is the one like myself, which is an analysis paralysis type of person. And it's two completely different problems, although they may run into the same issues, right? It's, they're really attacking the issues from a different point of view. And both of them have tendencies that are going to create real problems. So let's start here with these people that are analysis paralysis, type A personality kind of people. Let's talk about a letter. I got an email from this lady and she says she's 90s year, 90 years old. Um, she goes on and says, I have for years wanted to purchase properties and renovate them, but never could get anyone to be part of my venture. So let's just talk about it. One sentence. This, this is a long email, but I'm going to take it one sentence at a time and take it apart. You're 90 years old and you've never been able to convince anybody that you're incredibly artistic and beautiful mind has come up with all these incredible ideas. But in 90 years, not one person would get in behind you and follow you into that project. Now, you got to think about that for a second. What does that tell you, right? That's got to tell you something. So let's go on. It says, when I lived in Los Angeles, Pasadena, I was offering gorgeous 1900s homes. So 1900s homes means they're built in the 1890s. Are you with me? 
these houses are 200 years old, not 100 years old, 200 years old. And you could buy them for $1. I couldn't get my then husband to buy one. I wonder why a husband wouldn't buy a 200-year-old home. In her brain, and by the way, why would they be sold for $1? In her brain, all this just makes sense. When I was 50, I discovered I had learn learning problem, which answered why I had much trouble in school unless I was baking cakes and sewing. So that's her thing. She's she's very good at baking cakes and sewing. She brings it up many times in this article, uh, which is that creative side of her. Uh, the learning disorder, I don't know what it is, and I don't know how it really relates, uh, but we all have some form of learning disorder. I can't spell um, at, at all, period. None, nudo. In fact, if you get an email from me and there's not misspelled words, I didn't write the email. <laughs> Even spell checker can't keep up with me. So it goes on and says, it also explained why I didn't understand bosses with new programs or why trying to become a realtor. I just did not understand, which is why I wanted to be, uh, wanted to, but never entered your program. All right, so she didn't get it as a realtor. Why? Because people don't want to buy what she thinks is important. The things she places values on in life have no importance to everybody else she's talking to. That's why she couldn't sell anything, right? Moving on. I used to make cakes. My CPA one day told me I'd sold over $100,000 I wanted to, of cakes. So I wanted a store. I couldn't get a bank loan with my terrific sales background. I'm a Libra. It's a gift. I took a job for 25% commission, traveled all over the country, and turned a brand new maternity garment into a multi-million dollar wholesale gold mine. All right. So let's start with she couldn't get a loan. She's never placed any importance on finances. She's never had probably even bank accounts, checking accounts, savings accounts, never had a mortgage, paid loan, nothing. She's just out there, right? And people that are out there don't get it. Creative, type A personalities don't understand that no one wants to do business with them because they're just all over the place. Unfortunately for me, my almost 90-year-old boss and her braggy-hearted husband had been stealing people's products for years and got caught just as I was pushing to get my money. All right, pushing to get my money. What does that mean? Did she go with some kind of a deal where she wouldn't get paid for a year or something? She should have been paid, and she should have not gone to work, especially under commission basis, unless the, you know every time the sale was made, and if she sold this billion dollars worth of sales, she should have been paid at each sale. But again, no common sense, because she's that type of person. Sounds like I was stupid. You bet it does. Let's circle that with a big pen. But they were able to get out of paying me, and I lost over $3.5 million worth of commissions. Let me repeat what she said. Sounds like I'm stupid. Stupid may be a harsh word, but totally unable to understand reality is what most creative people live under this type of burden. They just don't get the factual part of life. A friend of theirs told me, he wasn't surprised because they had done this to many, many other people. Didn't do any research before she went into giving them their full-time job and not getting paid draw or week-by-week salary. She just 
trusted these people. Another thing creative people do is they trust people with cockamamie-type schemes. Herself has created many cockamamie schemes, and she's very upset that people won't get involved with them, like she's willing to get involved with other people. She goes on and says, um, I got pushed aside without uh, any of the contracted money. First time in my life I saw God's revenge. Both of them got sick and died three years later. (laughs) I don't know where to go with that one. I wound up bankrupt at 60. Horrifying time, not to mention no money for my bakery or navigator or my house. So now she's broke. So we move on. It says, I moved to L.A., Charleston, start East Coast office, and was stranded there, but worked for health food store and made cakes on the side, $1,800, and my puppy and I in the cake pans. We moved to Houston, Texas, where I went to work for Randall's in the bakery as a floral designer. Again, creative as heck, bakery, floral designer. I spent, I had hours in floral. After 40 hours, I went to 16 I had been able to get and resolve in the store. I contacted the CEO. Oh, they cut her back from 40 hours to 16 because they just didn't need the creativeness anymore. You know, when the pandemic occurred, there was no need for creativity because people weren't getting out and buying things like party decorations and so forth. It just died, right? So she got cut. She didn't understand that. Today, we're discussing why type A personalities fail. What is the the reasons and what is their personality types that create this failure in their lives. Second thing we're going to cover is going to be why do type B's fail and what is the things that they do to create that failure in their life. So we're talking about this lady for a whole entire segment. We talked about things that she thought she could do that she couldn't do. She's never had any money uh, because she's never cared to even save any money. She said she made millions of dollars but doesn't have a dime. Uh, She says that's because other people cheated her out of the money. Um, She goes on here, and then, by the way, this is three pages long. I'm not going to do all three pages, but she just keeps going. The next thing she wants to do is she wants to redesign an apartment complex. She goes, uh, you know, it it doesn't matter if the building's there. We can do anything uh, if the building's sound. All the walls need is to be stripped. All the electrical and plumbing needs to be redone, uh, not to mention the interior redesigning I, I have. Since I was a little girl, I have redesigned apartments in my head, including a few singles, a few doubles, a few two-, three-bedroom apartments, washers and dryers, appliance, heating. It's all in my mind. And and she goes on and she talks about wanting to build a, a takeover, a 50,000-square-foot uh, shopping center, um, in a, in a really expensive part of town here in Houston and rebuild it into a plaza and put in all these different shops that she thinks are going to make it and so on and so forth. Um, it's sad. It really is. I mean, you almost want to cry for this lady, but she ends up ending this conversation with her theory, her reason why she can't get anybody to work with her is that people aren't just honest anymore, that honest people would work with her. Then she asked me if I would invest with her because, you know, she thinks I'm an honest person. Well, that's really kind of a, a loop-de-loo little kick-you-in-the-teeth type of thing to say, right? If you're not honest, you know, if you're honest, you'll invest with me. No, you're a complete lunatic, No one will invest with you, honest or not. Now, people that are not honest will find somebody like this and take massive advantage of them. And that's the sad part. I wouldn't take advantage of her. uh, But somebody else might say, hey, I got a deal for you. And 
That's her life, and it will continue to be her life. She's 90 years old. It's not going to change now, et cetera, et cetera. Let's talk about why bees fail. And I'm a bee, so I can give you really close-to-home examples. I'm not going to give you a financial example because I have not failed financially because I've learned to overcome my beeism, my bee nature, to speak of, because I know it's there. And I know what I'm looking for. I know what I'm looking at. And I know when it's a problem. And I'm going to give you an example of something currently just happened to me in the last week. And that was, you know, I started playing guitar again. And, you know, you, there's like 8,000 things you need to know to play guitar. And one of them was I was trying to play this new song. And it, it it's like it needed a uh, some additional tonality that would come from these things called guitar pedals. Now, there are like eight different types of guitar pedals, and there are like 20 different builders of every guitar pedal. So, you know, you just take that up there right there, and you've got, you know, know, whatever that number is, it's a lot. Let's say 10 times 8 would be 80, 100 times would be 800. You know, you got 1,600 different pedals out there. Um, then you've got specialty pedals that don't match up to anything. So there's just tons of stuff. So I start researching this stuff, and I've spent three or four days lined up what the eight different types are, looked up what the new, the best, you know, builders were, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then I woke up and I realized something. I realized I hadn't picked up my guitar in almost a week. And then I realized it. My B had hit me. Where it was really most important to be playing the guitar and learning the songs I was out there playing around with the peripheral necessary uh, to give me one little tweak of the song that would make it sound more realistic. But really what it was, more than anything, it was a way to get me away from the work of playing guitar, the work of needing to be successful. Type Bs don't like to take risks because risks creates failure as often as, if not more times than success. And so a B will do everything not to fail. So what does that mean? It means like picking up a new song and plinking through it is a painful thing for a B to do. Now, playing a song you've already mastered, they love, hey, I love playing stuff I already mastered. That's great. Improve on it. I can improve it because I'm already in it. I'm not failing. I'm succeeding at doing something new. Oof, I do it all day long. But then make, pick up something brand new and plink, 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 and just starting through the plinking and the struggle to get through it and to learn the different parts of the song. Ooh, that's painful. But man, research. There's no failure in research. And as I researched through, I thought, well, let's just find out what pedals will do what I need them to do. Then I found out there were so many different types. Of then I realized, oh man, maybe I'm missing something here. Then I looked at all the different types of pedals. And then I looked at all the different kind of pedal makers. Then I found there was expensive pedals. Then I found that there were knockoff pedals. Then I found there were really cheap pedals. And then, then there was comparisons against the cheap ones, against the good ones. And I found that the good, the cheap ones were almost as good as the good ones and, you know, 80% of the time and the other 20%, then the good ones were different. And then you needed to know which of the 20% of 800 different models, you know, you needed to have the good ones and not the bad ones. And you can see where this could drive you insane. And hours and hours and hours of listening to them on these videos to get the difference in your head about what they are and what they do and 
pricing, then going and I setting up a list of ones that I think I need, and then going and pricing them, pricing them somewhere else, and pricing them somewhere else, and then looking up from there, okay, now I've got my list, I've got my price list now, is there something better that I could pick for that? Maybe I don't need that pedal, maybe there's something they've designed new that does better than that kind of a pedal, even though at the time it was the right pedal now. I woke up this morning from doing all that, and I sat down. I said, you know what? Take this off my screen. Go back to my list of songs that I want to learn. And I went to uh, a thing called The Five Songs You Should Know How to Play If You're a Rock Guitarist. And I listened to these five songs, and I thought, why am I not learning this? Why am I not learning these five songs that everybody would know that I would be able to excel at, that it would be quite an accomplishment. And then if when I'm learning them, they said, you need that pedal, why don't I just go buy that pedal? See, with all that research was useless because I'm a millionaire. I can have, I could have bought all the pedals. And I might have bought all the pedals if I hadn't caught myself in a moment of insanity, uh, just saying that, you know, I'm, I bought one today. That's the one I need for the song that I'm playing right now. My, my Jimi Hendrix called Hey Joe, and I think there's three pedals I need for that song to make it sound exactly like Jimi Hendrix. And I thought, my God, what am I doing? And there it was. I knew what I was doing. I was being a type B. I was getting out of taking action, getting out of taking risk, getting out of moving forward by creating all kinds of research. When we come back, we'll talk about the two and how to overcome them. Thank you. to creating the lifestyle you really want. Keep listening. The Del Wamsley Radio Show returns in moments. Stop waiting. Stop sitting around. Stop procrastinating. This is your time. Make it happen. Do it now. When's the best time? Now. People go, well, I don't know. It's going to crash. <laughs> it's going to be better next year. It's, I've got to listen to four more classes. I love guys come up to me and tell me, you know, I've been listening to you on the radio for eight years now, right? <laughs> I go, and you're not rich yet? <laughs> well, really, I'm thinking about joining next month. <laughs> Do it now. Learn the skills you need to retire with real estate in five years or less. Do it now. Register for the Lifestyles Unlimited free online workshop, lifestylesunlimitedworkshop.com. Welcome back to Del Wamsley Radio Show. Today we're discussing the difference between type A personalities and type B personalities. Uh, not so directly as in the definitional basis, but more as in, hey, what's the result of these type of personalities? And I promised you I'd come back and at least give you some insight as to how to fix those. I'm going to start with the type B first because I'm a type B and I know what I had to do to become successful. And that was I had to stop looking for more information. You have to stop the analysis. You have to figure out what it is you want done, put a target on a piece of paper, go, I need that done, 
and go after that. And you need to take those steps that go directly to that and don't get caught in the peripheral type information that's out there because there's massive amounts of peripheral information. Um, you don't need more research. I think YouTube's probably a, a disaster for type B personalities. Now, let's talk about type A personalities because, you know, I make that sound easy, but it's like when I decided I was going to stop drinking, you know, people go, well, should you go to a rehab place? Or should you? No, I'm just going to stop. Go, what do you mean you're going to stop? Nobody stops drinking. I just stopped. And, and that's what you do is like, okay, like this guitar thing. I just stopped with the pedal search. <laughs> Dude, wait a minute. I, but you've got all this info now. Shouldn't you act on the info? The info is all peripheral to what I really want the goal to be. The goal is to play the guitar and to be able to play specific songs. So get back to this. Playing the guitar, there's lots of information on how to play the guitar in general. And then there's information about a specific song. And I had to learn that, okay, X number of inf- amount of information went to music theory. And literally when I spend the time studying guitar, X amount went to music theory. So I had some basis of what I was learning. X amount went to uh, genre understanding. So I had the understanding of how different genres created different ways to play the guitar. Uh, and then... I had to get down to and pick some songs. And I had to just force myself. I just took and set up my computer to where I said, okay, I'm going to play these five songs. And I went and found all the YouTube articles I could find on how to play those five songs and stuck them in folders. And and I just stuck on one song. And I learned to play it the way that guy said to play it, then the way that guy said to play it, the way that guy said to play it. And after I watched two or three guys show me how to play it, I finally got an essence of, wow, Okay, the first guy's weight was pretty remedial. I didn't know that when I was learning. It was very, very hard when I was learning it. By the time I got to the second guy, his was too hard for me to play. Went to the third guy's, his was moderate. Picked up the moderate way to play it. And by the time I'd done the moderate, I go, oh, now I see what the guy was doing on the second one, which was very advanced. I just wasn't ready because I didn't understand the moderate information to get to the high high-end information. So then I went back and watched that one again and learned the high-end information. I'm still learning the high-end information on most of these songs to where you play them to sound just like the guys that play them. But at first, you know, you learn the basic chords and then you maybe learn one little riff. But you don't really learn how it's all put together and, you know, whatever rhythm or timing, blah, 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 blah. So you get that, right? And I had to force myself to do that in this particular, I've had to do that on everything right? Everything. I started out looking at commercial real estate. I've been doing, I did houses and I, I studied the heck out of houses. Then I went to apartments. I studied the heck out of apartments. Then I went to commercial real estate. I studied the heck out of commercial real estate. But each time I had to stop myself and said, okay, that's enough study. Now let's put a goal. Let's put a target somewhere on a piece of paper and let's aim these steps at that target. And that system works for me. It gets me where I need to go. And what I find is interesting is it still fulfills my need to know syndrome, my analysis paralysis syndrome, because once I take steps towards something, I get closer to it, I have more knowledge and now I have different questions. And so my analysis paralysis kicks in again. Well, just like I said, so now that I know how to play the song, I wonder what kind of pedals he's using because it doesn't sound exactly like he sounds well. Boom. Then I ran into the pedal 
problem, right? So now I put the pedal problem away. I got the three things I need to play Hendrix for this song I'm playing, et cetera. Take that down to the five songs that I'm trying to play. I'll find the pedal specific to those five songs. And then I'm done with pedals for a while. You follow what I'm saying? And I won't worry about a pedal until I need it for a specific song. Now let's talk about type A's. Type A's says, I'm not one. I do not know how you overcome being a type A. I just have never been able to rationalize how you can just change your mind uh, instantly. I mean, I, I tell this story about, you know, my wife uh, and I. I'm a type B, and type B don't like don't want anything to change in life. We want everything to stay the same. Type A's want everything to change every single day. And part of me taking many years before I actually married my wife was I had to re- decide if I was going to be able to live with her. Uh, because not that she's a bad person, but she is a type of person that drives a person like me crazy. What do I mean by that? She wants to change everything and move everything every day. So when you live in an expensive home, this story I tell all the time, two of them that are very important, I tell the story is that when you live in an expensive home, it's not like buying furniture for an apartment. You could buy some junk furniture and throw it in the apartment. You move, you can throw it around another partner. If you live in a small home or a medium-sized home, you can buy furniture. It's nice furniture, don't get me wrong, but it's just furniture. And you could go to the next house and put it there too. But when you live in a mansion, you're buying giant pieces of furniture that fit that spot. And they fit the artistic design of the house. And uh, if you don't, I mean, they've all got a match. And mismatchers don't work with matching type stuff like that. Now, there is a the whole genre of mismatch where everything is mismatched and nothing matches. And it's eclectic. And that in itself is a matching system. But then nothing can match. It has to all be eclectic. I found that piece in France, and I found that piece over there in, in Europe, and I found that piece over there in Spain. And you know, and nothing matches but it's a heirloom of you know garbage that you've collected all over the world. Maybe not garbage, maybe expensive garbage. Right? I would go do a two-day seminar, and I would come back home, and stuff was gone. It was moved. Stuff that should never been in places in that house. Moved from rooms that it was bought specifically for, it was moved to other rooms. And that was the worst part. The other part was stuff like the couch was spun around. And for it used to be lengthways of the ring of the room, and then it was widthways of the ring of the room, and the tables were moved, and the chairs were moved, and the ottomans were moved, and nothing was the same. Thank God I, I made a rule you can't pull the paintings off the wall and move the paintings every five days. But if she could, she would. And in places where they weren't big, expensive paintings, where they were just pictures, yeah, she's replaced them multiple times. So you see, the other one I tell all the time is about the fact when she first met me, she said I had religious underwear. And so what do I mean by religious underwear? Because they're holy. Everything you have is holy. So she bought me all kinds of new underwear. She says, you're a millionaire. You shouldn't wear holy underwear. So I'm putting on the new underwear, and I'm looking for my old one. I go, where's all my old underwear? She goes, well, I got rid of it. I go, what do you mean you got rid of it? She goes, there was no need for it. You have all new underwear. I said, but yeah, but I could have used it. Used it for what? I said, well, when I work out in the yard or whatever, maybe I keep it as just rags for the garage. And she couldn't understand. And that's a type B. We don't get rid of anything. We stick with the same thing our entire life, and that's why bees fail sometimes because they can't change directions. They can't get out 
of the habits that are already stuck in. But type A people can't stick with anything long enough to make it stick. And so type A is, how do you fix that? There's only two ways I can think of. Number one, you're going to have to reprogram yourself, if that's at all possible. And you're going to have to say, I'm going to go and I'm going to make something artistic out of something that's not artistic. In other words, I need to know about business and finances. And I would start studying it as if it's artistic. And I know a lady that did this, and she came up with some ideas about financials, financial statements and stuff that was just crazy. I just We laughed at her every time she came up with new ideas. But she ended up getting where she needed to be because she was studying the right stuff. And she was paying attention to money. And she started looking at the creative use of money as opposed to the creative use of the apartment. In other words, this lady we just had this article about, she wanted to fix everything, build everything, tear everything down. She thinks the business is about creativity. It's not, guys. It's about money. And so we were able to take this lady and get her to focus on money, creativity in money. And that helped quite a bit. We're going to change direction here now. We're going to discuss uh, local housing conditions. Interesting what they're talking about here is how interest rates are affecting housing. It says uh, rates resume climb, further cooling of the market after a brief dip below the 5% interest rate in early August. The average for a 30-year fixed rate mortgage is surging again. All right. Following the Federal Reserve's fourth interest rate hike this year, at the July meeting, so let's keep this in, you know, tact here. July meeting, the average 30-year mortgage rate reached the mid-five band in the last full week of August. All right, so the measure is quickly approaching the 2022 peak of 5.8% interest set earlier in June. Higher borrowing costs have created challenges for the potential home buyers this summer. Home purchasers have declined for six consecutive months, with the July tally down 19% year over year. As a result, more homes were available for purchase across the U.S. than any period since November of 2020. Given the revived upward pressure on mortgage rates and the likelihood of an additional Fed rate hike before the year end, this may continue to impact the market in the near future. So what do we make by all this? Well, you gotta, you got to look under the skin here. What this is saying is it's becoming very difficult for people to buy homes. And because they can't qualify, because the interest rates are making the mortgage payments so high that they can't qualify for the homes. So now what happens? Now the sellers have to decide, do they really want to sell or not? Some sellers say, no, I'll just stay where I'm at. Other sellers are saying, okay, i got to get out now for whatever reason, and they're needing to reduce their homes. What we're seeing in my real estate companies across the nation, um, and I don't know how many states we're in now, but I know it's at least seven, and across the nation, we are seeing home prices closing 10 to 20% below uh, listed price. Um, So the prices are down. This is a buyer's market, not a seller's market. But the bottom hasn't fallen out of this market yet. Now, they're saying there's a possible interest rate hike coming again before the end of the year. If that happens, who knows where it will take us. I don't believe that there's going to be a crash on single-home prices. Why? Because there's just not enough of them out there for that to happen. There's too much demand chasing 
too little inventory. And uh, if I go further down this article, it states that inventory is going up because fewer and fewer people are buying homes. There's more and more homes on the market waiting. But contrary to that, new home construction is down. So they're not putting more properties into the inventory as there's more and more people. Remember, kids are born every day. Babies become 18. 18 18-year-olds become 30-year-olds and become buyers. Every day that goes on, hundreds of thousands of people a day change age to an age that now they're interested. And so these are new buyers into the marketplace. But there's no new product in the marketplace for these people to buy. So what does that mean for us? Well, an interesting thing to keep in mind is how you qualify for a mortgage, right? And so when you go there to qualify for a mortgage for your personal residence, they look at how much you earn, and then they look at all your bills, including the mortgage added to it, and see if you qualify, if you have enough money to pay all those bills. Um, If the payments on that mortgage are too high, you don't qualify. And so you can't buy that home. You have to go buy a less expensive home if you want to buy something. And if there are no less expensive homes, then you can't buy something. Now, it did say in this article that higher mortgage rates and elevated prices, a limited number of households that qualify to purchase, is coaxing some sellers to recalculate. And the median price of existing homes fell for a second straight month in July to $394,000. Now, think about this. $394,000 for a median, that's everything, half of them below that, half of them above that. That's just ungodly to me. I can't even imagine somebody paying $394,000 for a home. When I was a kid, we were buying, my first home cost me uh, $40,000. And the rent houses I was buying during that same time, and that was, you know, I was paying $25,000 a rent house. So I can't even imagine $400,000. How does a kid come up with $400,000? purchase, you know, when they're, when they're young and my kids all got in, uh, you know, for homes, one kid got in for 200 and some thousand for their house. And we thought that was a good price. Another kid got in for like 86,000 cause they got it from grandma, <laughs> whatever it was. And, uh, they got a steal on that house. So I don't know how these people do it. I think the answer is they don't do it. Now, what about us? So how do investors qualify? Say, doesn't that do the same thing to investors? And the answer is no. And you don't realize that. And the reason you don't understand it is because you don't understand this one basic fact, that when you go to buy a rent house and you're not buying it to live in, they allow you to count the income that will be produced by renting it towards your income. And if purchased correctly, whereby you buy a house that rents for 25% more than what your mortgage payment is, then you don't have, to, you don't, the, the cost of the mortgage payment will be covered by the rent. Hence, it doesn't change your qualifications at all. You're, you're, you can buy as many houses as you want. It would never change your qualifications because your income is going up by the amount of your new costs and better. And so you can do that on and on. I had over 100 houses in my name, guys. Now think about that. Over 100 houses in my name. So it never took me down. So the beauty of this is all these people that can't buy are now being forced to rent. 
All of us investors are buying houses at 10 to 20% less than what they cost. And we have tenants ready to go in them. I can't see how it can be any more perfect than that. Have a great day. And remember, it's not the money. It's the lifestyle. The information and opinions you hear on the Dell Wamsley Radio Show are those of the host, Dell Wamsley, his guests, and his callers, and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of this station, its affiliates, its management, or advertisers. The Dell Wamsley Show is for entertainment purposes only. Please consult a professional regarding your personal investment needs. Nothing presented on the Dell Wamsley Show constitutes an endorsement, recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any product or security.